Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Excerpts from Martin Luther King's speech at the conclusion of the march from Selma to Montgomery. How long? Not long. Last Sunday, more than 8,000 of us started on a mighty walk from Selma, Alabama. We have walked on meandering highways and rested our bodies on rocky byways. Some of our faces are burned from the outpourings of the sweltering sun. Some have literally slept in the mud. We have been drenched by the rains. They told us we wouldn't get here. And there were those who said that we would get here only over their dead bodies. But all the world today knows that we are here and that we are standing before the forces of power in the state of Alabama, saying we ain't gonna let nobody turn us around. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 gave Negroes some part of their rightful dignity. But without the vote, it was dignity without strength. Once more, the method of nonviolent resistance was unsheathed from its scabbard. And once again, an entire community was mobilized to confront the adversary. And again, the brutality of a dying order shrieks across the land. Yet Selma, Alabama became a shining moment in the conscience of man. There never was a moment in American history more honorable and more inspiring than the pilgrimage of clergymen and laymen of every race and faith pouring into Selma to face danger at the side of its embattled Negroes. Confrontation of good and evil compressed in the tiny community of Selma generated a massive power to turn the whole nation to a new course. A president born in the South had the sensitivity to feel the will of the country. And in an address that will live in history as one of the most passionate pleas for human rights ever made by a president of our nation, he pledged the might of the federal government to cast off the centuries old light. President Johnson rightly praised the courage of the Negro for awakening the conscience of the nation. My people, my people listen. The battle is in our hands. The battle is in our hands in Mississippi and Alabama and all over the United States. Our aim must never be to defeat or humiliate the white man, but to win his friendship and understanding. We must come to see that the end we seek is a society at peace with itself, a society that can live with its conscience. That will be a day not of the white man, not of the black man. That will be the day of man as man. I know you are asking today, how long will it take 
I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth pressed to earth will rise again. How long? Not long, because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long, because you still reap what you sow. How long? Not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Good afternoon to everyone. Thank you for participating in this Martin Luther King Memorial Session. When I was asked to speak today, I had to consider what to talk about in this strange time that we find ourselves living in. And I looked over the speeches and writings of the Reverend Martha, Martin Luther King which was a great joy and privilege and thought a long time about his life and what he accomplished in his much too short life. He was only 39 years old when he was assassinated. He had been leading the civil rights movement for only 13 years, starting in 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama, and assassinated in 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. And I read many of his speeches and listened on audiobook to many other speeches and found myself again and again just filled with love and even awe at his courage his humanity, his decency. His depth of learning and his wisdom. And I settled on this text, the speech that he gave at the end of the march from Selma to Montgomery. Partly because of what he says and partly because of the historical moment. 
many of you may have seen the movie Selma, which is about this march and how it came about and what the result was. This is the famous march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge that resulted in so many people being beaten, including the late Congressman John Lewis, who had his skull cracked while trying to march across the bridge. The march had beginnings starting in February of 1965. The famous attack on the Edmund Pettus Bridge occurred on March 7th and Martin Luther King wasn't there. He had other commitments and other engagements and no way to know at the time how truly historic that engagement would be when the marchers at that time only a few hundred strong were turned back violently and brutally. He joined the march a couple of days later on March 9th for just a ceremonial march to the bridge and then turning back. And it wasn't until a nation shocked by the images of violence that came out of that first march and the murder of a black clergyman, James Reeb. At that time with the nation fully aware of the stakes involved, fully aware of the brutality and violence with which people's basic desire for equality and freedom was being met. President Johnson nationalized the Alabama National Guard and guaranteed the safety of the marchers. The marchers were accompanied by the National Guard and their security was safeguarded. And the march from Selma to Montgomery was completed. Marchers marching 12 miles a day, taking several days to complete the journey. And it was at the end of that journey with their numbers having grown from that initial march, that initial attempt that was turned back at that time, only 600 people strong. There were 8,000 people who completed the march. including, of course, Martin Luther King, but also many other clergymen, many other people of all races, all faiths would come to support the effort to establish voting rights 
for the black citizens of the South. And in Dr. King's speech, he speaks of nonviolent resistance and speaks of the conscience of the nation. He speaks of the need for reconciliation. And he ends very hopefully by asking the question, how long will it take? How long, not long, because no lie can live forever. How long, not long, because you still reap what you sow. How long, not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. It's a beautiful way to end a speech. But of course, we know that the end of that march was realized in the Voting Rights Act of 1965. But even today, there is voter suppression. There is violence and discrimination and injustice. And so we are left asking how long. How long? It's a very fair question, considering that we have just in the last couple of weeks survived an attempted coup on behalf of white supremacy. when we saw rioters in the Capitol building carrying Confederate flags, some wearing horrible slogans and committing every type of disrespect to the Capitol building, having killed a police officer who was attempting to protect the senators and vice president inside the Capitol. a truly horrible sight that I never thought that I would see in our own country. And so we're left to ask how long. And the only answer that we can give is as long as it takes. Of course, we have 
to be happy about the progress that has been made since the march on Selma and the 55 years since that march occurred, we have had a black president and then the backlash and the election of a white supremacist. And in a few days, we will have our first female vice president who is of mixed race, both black and Asian. And so there are many things that we can point to that are positive. Martin Luther King was the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Georgia at a time when it was impossible or next to impossible for black people to vote in Georgia and in Mississippi and Alabama. And on the same day that the white supremacists attempted their coup and attempted to install the current president as president for life, the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, Martin Luther King's old church was elected to the US Senate. The first black senator from Georgia. And on the same day, the first Jewish senator from Georgia. There is a tension in this country which has no easy resolution. It is the tension of those who have been historically oppressed coming into their own in dignity in expression of self-worth of their rights as a citizen and the tension of the oppressor not wanting to give up power. And this tension has been going on for decades and decades and centuries. And it will continue. It's the tension of grasping, trying to hold on to the old ways versus those who are reaching forward to the new. The tension of fear and hatred, anger. The tension of delusion battling the light, ignorance. It's the three poisons, those things that we talk about, the things which we see in ourselves and that we deal with in our practice and in observing our own thoughts. Those three poisons are not just in our own 
thoughts in our own hearts. They're in the thoughts and heart of our nation. And there is no easy resolution. There's no easy resolution in our own heart, in our own minds. But we must keep going. The great vows for all, however innumerable all beings are, I vow to save them all. However inexhaustible delusions are, I vow to extinguish them all. However immeasurable Dharma teachings are, I vow to master them all. However endless the Buddha's way is, I vow to follow it. Those lines are an aspiration in our own heart, but also an aspiration for our society, our nation. What does it mean to save all beings? How, how, how do we do that? Martin Luther King spoke so eloquently about nonviolence and the necessity of love. He was so grounded in the Christian faith being a pastor himself and the son of a pastor and the grandson of a pastor. And yet when he was a young man, he doubted his faith. He studied widely in philosophy. He came to read Karl Marx, Hegel, the existential philosophers. He came to weigh all of these philosophies and to accept and reject the best parts of each. Before coming back to his Christian faith as a way of reaching out to people and improving the hopes, improving the lives Improving the daily existence of people. He was very, very influenced by Mahatma Gandhi and the philosophy of nonviolence. I'd like to read another excerpt from one of his speeches. <laughs> This is Martin Luther King on love and nonviolent resistance. A great challenge that stands before us is that of entering the new age with understanding goodwill. This simply means that the Christian virtues of love, mercy, and forgiveness 
should stand at the center of our lives. We must blot out the hate and injustice of the old age with the love and justice of the new. This is why I believe so firmly in nonviolence. Violence never solves problems. It only creates new and more complicated ones. If we succumb to the temptation of using violence in our struggle for justice, unborn generations will be the recipients of a long and desolate night of bitterness. And our chief legacy to the future will be an endless reign of meaningless chaos. We have before us the glorious opportunity to inject a new dimension of love into the veins of our civilization. There is still a voice crying out in terms that echo across the generations saying, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you, that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. This love might well be the salvation of our civilization. This is why I'm so impressed with our motto for the week, freedom and justice through love. Not through violence, not through hate. No, not even through boycotts, but through love. The end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. It is this type of understanding goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of man. Now I realize that in talking so much about love, it is very easy to become sentimental there is the danger that our talk about love will merely be empty words devoid of any practical and true meaning. But when I say love those who oppose you, I'm not speaking of love in a sentimental or affectionate sense. When I refer to love at this point, I mean understanding goodwill. The Greek language comes to our aid at this point. The Greek language has three words for love. First, it speaks of love in terms of eros. Plato used this word quite frequently in his dialogues. Eros is a type of aesthetic love. Now it has come to mean a sort of romantic love. And then the Greek talks about philia. Philia is a sort of intimate affectionateness between personal friends, 
It's a sort of reciprocal love. On this level, a person loves because he is loved. Then the Greek language comes out with another word, which is the highest level of love. It speaks of it in terms of agape. Agape means nothing sentimental or basically affectionate. It means understanding, redeeming goodwill for all men. It is an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. When we rise to the level to love on the agape level, we love men not because we like them, not because their attitudes and ways appeal to us, but because God loves us. Here we rise to the position of loving the person who does the evil deed while hating the deed that the person does. With this type of love and understanding goodwill, we will be able to stand amid the radiant glow of the new age with dignity and discipline. Now, there may be some points at which for people who are not Christian, it could be helpful to translate some of Martin Luther King's terms into more Buddhist friendly terminology. When he talks of agape, and defines it as understanding goodwill. Think of it as meta. Loving kindness. Universal friendliness, goodwill. And when he says we love because God loves us, we love because it is the Buddha nature to love. How can you manifest your Buddha nature without manifesting love? Without manifesting compassion, caring, And the desire to understand those who are lost in the darkness of ignorance. And how can you win over those who are lost in the darkness of ignorance except through love, through understanding, through listening. Now, this doesn't mean understanding and accepting, accepting the affronts to decency. To equality. Martin Luther King often spoke of the courage that was required to resist nonviolently. But the absolute necessity to do so, to not accept injustice. And if a law was unjust to break the law, accepting responsibility for breaking the law, 
one of the most wonderful writings that he produced was his letter from Birmingham jail. He went to jail in Birmingham, Alabama for unjust reasons. And with all of that time on his hand, he wrote a long letter to clergymen who were advising him to slow down, to move more slowly, to not confront injustice in the nonviolently aggressive fashion that he was confronting it. And I hope that you will all do yourselves the favor of reading that letter from Birmingham jail, a wonderful document, and to take it to heart. We are living in unstable times. Perhaps the times are always unstable and it's only our hindsight bias towards imagining that the old days were the good old days and that what's happening now is somehow different. But the 1960s were a very, very unstable time. The 1950s were an unstable time. In the 1950s, you had the threat of nuclear war. You had the beginnings of the civil rights movement. You had the very earliest stages of the women's rights movement. You had all sorts of breakdowns. And in the 1960s, unspeakable violence, assassinations of John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Medgar Evers, untold numbers of freedom riders, protesters, not to mention the Vietnam War, And if you go back further, of course, we have the Civil War, we have Reconstruction and the violence of that era. We have lynchings and Jim Crow. And thanks to Martin Luther King and his followers and fellow participants in the struggle, a great deal of progress has been made and it's wonderful. It's wonderful that Raphael Warnock was elected Senator from Georgia. Kamala Harris has finally been elected to be the first woman in the executive branch of our government. That Barack Obama was our first black president. But if the events of the last four years and especially the last two weeks have shown us anything, It's that every step forward is accompanied by at least a half step back.
and every movement towards justice is accompanied by those who would resist it. Martin Luther King was aided immeasurably by his deep Christian faith, his unwavering belief that God had a plan and that however long might be the arc of the moral universe that it did indeed bend towards justice. And I believe that all of us as Buddhists must use our faith the faith of however innumerable all beings are, I vow to save them all. The faith that only through metta, through understanding goodwill, loving kindness, through the depth of compassion, can you save anyone starting with yourself, but including all beings. We have to have faith, faith that however inexhaustible delusions are, Our delusions, the delusions of those in power, the delusions of those committing atrocities, however inexhaustible they may seem, we must dedicate ourselves to extinguishing them. The opportunity to take a stand is before you. How you choose to do that is a personal choice. It may be by doing more zazen, by studying the sutras, by reading the Bible, by reading the Quran. It may be by acting in a political fashion, attending demonstrations, donating to political parties or candidates that share your values. The great vows for all tell us that we must make a stand. How you make that stand, that is up to you. You have to do it in a way that is consistent with your values 
with a full understanding of what you yourself are capable of, what you're not capable of. With honest appraisal. But when Dr. King spoke of agape, he was speaking of metta. He was speaking of karuna. He was not using language which is foreign to us, even if it's couched in the vocabulary of Christianity. When he speak, speaks of God loving us, this is the manifestation of Buddha nature. My depth of gratitude to Dr. King is very deep. I hope that each of you will take the opportunity to read at least some of his writings, some of his speeches, to become familiar with his life and to use him as an inspiration in your own lives. And however innumerable all beings are, keep working to fulfill your vow. However inexhaustible delusions are, keep studying, keep sitting, keep reaching out to understand more and more, to light up the darkness of ignorance. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.